every time you submit a request to ChatGPT, you're generating about 1.5 grams of CO2 emissions, which is a huge amount of emissions if you think about the number of requests that are submitted to these generative AI models on a daily basis. So we should really be mindful that while generative AI technology creates these new pathways to revolutionizing different industries, although we don't see it, there's a lot of carbon footprint. Welcome to Sustainability Leaders. I'm Michael Torrance, Chief Sustainability Officer with BMO Financial Group. On this show, we will talk with leading sustainability practitioners from the corporate, investor, academic, and NGO communities to explore how this rapidly evolving field of sustainability is impacting global investment, business practices, and our world. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of our two-part series around artificial intelligence. I am Rosa van den Beemt, Director of Stewardship in Responsible Investment at BMO Global Asset Management. And I'm really thrilled to be joined again by Ibrahim Bagheri, Professor at Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly known as Ryerson, the Canada Research Chair for Social Information Retrieval and the NZERC Industrial Research Chair in Social Media Analytics. He is also the director of the NZERC CREATE program on the responsible development of AI and the recipient of several awards, including the NZERC Synergy Award for Innovation in Outstanding Industry and Academia Collaboration. In our last episode, we ended on the positive applications of sustainability outcomes with AI. Ibrahim discussed leading with identifying the problems that need to be solved and then utilizing AI as a potential tool to solve the problem rather than starting with what could AI possibly do for us. Ibrahim, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Rosa. It's a pleasure. I was hoping we could start today's episode by diving further into the positive applications of sustainability outcomes with AI and discuss some of the use cases. For sure. Given we're talking about sustainability, I want to talk about AI impacting sustainability from how AI is being trained and also how AI can positively impact sustainability goals. So maybe I'll start with talking about how AI is trained and how it can create some problems from a sustainability perspective and then also talk about some of its positive uh, use cases. So AI systems are trained on large clusters of supercomputers. And all of those supercomputers are often in large data centers and they all run on electricity. The electricity used to run the data centers have a sizable carbon footprint. So by carbon footprint, I mean CO2 emissions or equivalent. When we think about data centers, large supercomputers, we might not actually know how much electricity they consume, how much energy they consume. So essentially, if you think about industry as we know it within the high tech, about 15% of their energy consumption is on AI applications. And now for us to get a sense of what that means in terms of emissions, 
let's talk about generative AI models. So GPT-3, which was the predecessor to ChatGPT, for training GPT-3, it generated 552 tons of CO2 emissions, just training that one model. Bloom, which is also another open source large language model developed by Big Science, it consumed 914 WH, that's kilowatts per hour of electricity, and emitted about 360 kilograms over an 18-day period when it was handling about 230,000 requests. So when you think about if you do the math, this means every time you submit a request to ChatGPT, you're generating about 1.5 grams of CO2 emissions, which is a huge amount of emissions if you think about the number of requests that are submitted to these generative AI models on a daily basis. So we should really be mindful that while generative AI technology creates these new pathways to revolutionizing different industries, we should also be mindful that although we don't see it, there's a lot of carbon footprint coming from training, running, developing, and deploying generative AI models. Now, on a more positive note, I think AI in general has also shown a lot of impact on various industries for good. For instance, one of my favorite areas is precision agriculture, which is primarily driven by AI. There's reports by the UN saying that, you know, you could reduce expenditure on agriculture by about 30% by using automated robots, drones, which allow you to harvest crops with higher precision. There is, there is a very interesting report that I came across. We said there's about $43 billion of lost crops every year due to weeds. But there is now AI-driven machine vision algorithms that identify automatically identify invasive weeds and tell farmers how to apply weed control chemicals to optimize the growth of the crops. So Precision agriculture, I think, is is an area which really is benefiting and has the potential to benefit from AI a lot. You mentioned climate change. I think while AI cannot solve the climate issue, but I think there are are areas where AI is making a lot of impact. For instance, you you have satellites orbiting uh, Earth in space. They're taking photos, and those can all be processed by image processing, computer vision algorithms, to identify uh, issues. For instance, you, you, know, you can monitor forest fires with computer vision. You can identify sources of uh, carbon dioxide by processing these images. Now, the areas of positive impact of AI, I think, is limitless. It's abundant areas where you can think about both at a macro level, thinking about problems we have as, as a society or as com- countries or populations, or, and also as individuals, think about you know, poverty, fair distribution of resources, education, healthcare, and so on. What we need to be mindful of is while these applications of AI for good are very exciting, we should really consider that when you develop AI, it's not one population that you impact. It's there is vast amount of different people that AI could impact. So think about optimizing healthcare procedures which is very important and we should do, 
But if you focus on developing AI for a certain population, then you may actually be developing algorithms that will actually disadvantage other populations. So we should always be thinking about a trade-off between what positive impacts AI can make and what are the other impacts that can have unintended consequences. And historically, what we've seen is that underprivileged populations are the populations that are being disadvantaged because most of the investment is happening within communities that are historically privileged communities. They have the resources to advance AI, and therefore the problems that are defined are problems for more privileged populations. The solutions that are created is based on the data that's collected from these more privileged communities, and therefore the AI algorithms and systems that are developed may not necessarily be transferable to these other populations. So I go back, for instance, to precision agriculture. In a lot of industrialized countries, farming has become industrialized. So you have large farms. Therefore, you can apply drones, you can use robots within those farms. But when you go to the global south, farming is not as industrialized. So the applications of AI that we think will revolutionize agriculture may not even be transferable to these other countries. So we should actually be thinking about how can we use AI for good and use AI for everyone's benefit? That's interesting because I know one of the things that you're passionate about as well is the accessibility benefits that AI could bring, which is in one way a positive application of AI to maybe underserved communities. Maybe we can talk about that first. And then I do want to come back to that division between the global north and global south. Yeah, absolutely. I think you touch on an important point, access and privilege. And so technology has traditionally impacted access and privilege. And it's a two-way street. Privilege gives you access to technology and access to technology will give you privilege. So when we think about AI, given the, the scope of its impact, it's actually changing the dynamics within access and privilege to a great extent. So when we re read reports about AI and impact on economy, for instance, we say, you know, the market size is expected to grow to 660 billion by 2030. But the distribution of the wealth is not going to be as lucrative. The $660 billion will probably go to a small fraction of companies who lead. And so I think we should think about wealth generation and also the distribution of the wealth. The wealth is generated by creating and deploying AI technology. And so the creation of AI technology is not just the intellectual process, it's also about creating reliable, clean, annotated data. And so if you don't have the clean data, regardless of how innovative your algorithm, you would not have the AI system. The process for creating reliable, clean, annotated data is very expensive and very time-consuming. So what is the solution right now? The solution is let's find jurisdictions which have lax labor regulation, low wages, and use those jurisdictions for data annotation, right? So what happens is data annotation workers are often from poorer nations, which don't have access to technology development. And so why is this? Think about lack of oversight on workforce. There's no minimum wages. So there's this rhetoric 
that says, okay, the reason this labor is done in those countries is, you know, at least we are creating opportunity for people to work from underdeveloped countries. But think about the reality. I think the effect of distribution of work globally is positively impacting a certain population and negatively impacting another subpopulation. Whereas the wealth is distributed one way and the heavy lifting of the work, which is often quite hard to do, on a different subpopulation. So we should be mindful of this. When we think about generation of wealth, we should also be thinking about this concept of access and privilege. Certain populations are privileged because they have access to the technology and another subset of population actually don't have access to the technology. They're creating technology that they could themselves not use for the benefit of another group. Seems like there are a lot of parallels with the existing inequalities of global wealth creation in general, or even things like climate change negatively impacts already vulnerable communities, although wealthier nations have traditionally contributed much more to global emissions. Or if you look at other types of supply chains where workers in developing countries might make clothing for consumers in the global north, which they themselves would not be able to buy. That's really interesting and something that I think hasn't been covered a lot, or at least I had not read that much about it. If we can switch a little bit to thinking about developing AI in a manner that is responsible, what are key elements to bring into the design and application of artificial intelligence to make sure that there are safeguards in place to guard against unintended consequences? I think that's a, that's a billion-dollar question, Rosa, and I wish I had the answer to that. But I have some thoughts on what it means to do responsible development of AI. And my first thought is what I mentioned in the previous episode, and that is identifying what our core values are and what are the problems that we want to solve. Do we value technology development inherently or do we value technology development because it can solve some of our core problems? So it's a matter of setting priorities. If the priority setting is to do technology development for the sake of humanity, then we should be focusing on what is the problem that we have and how can we best tackle it? And should AI have a part? And in that process, think about participatory design where we engage with every single individual who will be impacted through a democratic process. So I think that's the process for responsible development. But if you ask me about the steps, I think the most important step that we need to take is education. And I say that a little bit from my role as, as an educator at the university. I think education is very important. So misinformation has been exacerbated because of AI. So there are algorithms that you know tell you what type of information you write that people will read most and believe most and you know, send to their friends most. But in contrast, there are a lot of people who say, okay, how can we develop AI technology that prevents misinformation? And it's the question of 
could we develop technology that stops technology? And if you think that way, I think you will never actually find a solution because as soon as you find an algorithm that stops the other algorithm, the other group will develop another algorithm. So it's, it's always a never-ending race. And as Scandinavian countries like Finland have shown, addressing misinformation should be through process that creates a resilient society, uh, not through technology only. So their solution has been, let's go to our schools, educate our students, helping them be resilient against misinformation, right? So if every single person in the society is educated to make critical judgments, then you're safe against misinformation. And I think the same analogy applies to the responsible development of AI, right? So if you want to create AI that's responsible, uh, you should educate your general population about AI. What is AI? Where should it be used? What is its potential? How does it impact their rights and privacy? And then on the other hand, also educate our engineers, computer scientists, data scientists, AI developers about their legal and ethical responsibilities and let them know that even if they're working for high tech and the high tech is obviously responsible, they have legal and moral responsibility to understand the impact of the work that they're doing. So you educate your AI engineers to say, hey, look, you have the legal and moral responsibility to uphold values that are important. Although your supervisor is saying, let's collect all this personal data and build this next great accurate algorithm, at some point you should say, doesn't this violate people's privacy? Maybe we should not do it. So I think education is, is key, both at the level of the people that develop technology and also people who use it, the general population. And, and obviously, I don't want to downplay the, the role regulation enforcement plays. That's really key. But without the education component, even if you have the best legal framework, you have the best regulation, if you don't have people educated about it, it's very hard to enforce. So it's all about public awareness, understanding of impacts of AI, and also making sure people who develop AI know that they are legally and morally responsible. That is a wonderful way to end this conversation. Thank you, Rosa, for the opportunity. It's, it's lovely to talk to you. Likewise, Ibrahim. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sustainability Leaders. This podcast is presented by BMO Financial Group. To access all the resources we discussed in today's episode and to see our other podcasts, visit us at bmo.com forward slash sustainability leaders. You can listen and subscribe free to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, and we'll greatly appreciate a rating and review and any feedback that you might have. Our show and resources are produced with support from BMO's marketing team and Puddle Creative. Until next time, I'm Michael Torrance. Have a great week. For BMO disclosures, please visit bmocm.com slash podcast slash disclaimer.